Welcome to Daily Drive. For Thursday, October 27, 2022, I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News, on location at the Four Seasons Hotel in Chicago, where our retail forum has just begun. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, Argo AI abruptly shuts down, battering Ford's Q3 earnings. Compensation for the average U.S. dealership worker soars cracking six figures. And Tesla faces a criminal probe over self-driving claims. Plus, a conversation with Mark Lenave, chairman of the auto dealership vertical at Franchise Equity Partners from the Automotive News Retail Forum in Chicago. We've truly aligned with our operating partners. We succeed with them. We don't even want to think about the alternative to that. So we, we go with them, they run the stores, and we provide whatever help that they want, but we do not interfere in our operations. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Self-driving startup Argo AI will shut down operations, and its employees and parts will be absorbed by its main backers, Ford and Volkswagen. TechCrunch first reported the news on Wednesday, citing people familiar with the matter. Argo told employees that some of them would receive offers from one of the automakers, adding that it was not clear how many employees would go to Ford, Volkswagen, or lose their jobs. Argo AI declined to comment. In Ford's third quarter report, the automakers said Argo AI, quote, had been unable to attract new investors. Ford lost $2.6 billion on Argo AI's abrupt closure, turning what would have been a profitable quarter into a net loss of $827 million. CEO Jim Farley said the company now believes mass deployment of fully self-driving vehicles is, quote, a long way off. CFO John Lawler added it could be five plus years away. Ford's adjusted earnings before interest in taxes and excluding the Argo AI loss fell 40% from the same period a year ago to $1.8 billion. That's slightly higher than the range it projected last month. Ford also said inflation had significantly increased supplier costs. We have a lot of earnings results to report on public auto dealership groups. You ready? Here we go. Net income slipped in the third quarter for AutoNation. The retailer cites lower vehicle sales and higher expenses for technology investments and new business ventures. Net income dropped 2.5% to just over $350 million. AutoNation also says it will buy four dealerships in Colorado from Moreland Auto Group. The company said that the acquisition is expected to generate $320 million in annual revenue and should close in the fourth quarter. Sonic Automotive's net income increased slightly in the third quarter as it saw double-digit revenue growth. That's despite a drop in used vehicle sales at Sonic's growing Echo Park brand and declines in new and used vehicle sales on a same-store basis at its franchise dealerships. Sonic's net income increased 3.3% to more than $87 million as revenue rose 12% to $3.4 billion. The company says both of those figures are third-quarter records. Meanwhile, Asbury Automotive Group posted record net income of $205 million for the third quarter, but it also saw declines on same-store basis with revenue at those dealerships falling almost 3% from a year ago to about $2.3 billion. Employee turnover at U.S. dealerships in 2021 dropped to its lowest level in at least a decade, as average annual compensation for dealership employees soared. That's according to a study by the NADA. 
It appears that the average dealership employee last year made more than $100,000. That's the first time average compensation has reached that level. Average industry turnover was 34% in 2021, the lowest level in the 11-year history of the National Automobile Dealers Association's annual dealership workforce study. It plunged from 2020's figure of 46%, which is where the annual turnover number had been hovering for several years. And Tesla is under criminal investigation in the United States over claims that the company's electric vehicles can drive themselves. That's according to three people familiar with the matter. The U.S. Department of Justice launched the previously undisclosed probe last year following more than a dozen crashes involving Tesla's driver assistance system autopilot, which was activated during the accidents. Some of the crashes were fatal. As early as 2016, Tesla's marketing materials have touted autopilot's capabilities. On a conference call that year, CEO Elon Musk described it as, probably better than a human driver. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, Argo AI shutting down, the reason for Ford's losses in Q3, with them absorbing part of that company, do you think they even want to put more money into self-driving? Nah, it doesn't look like it. You know, uh, Farley's skepticism about the, you know, really achievability of that technology indicates there that's not a priority, especially when they have to spend so many billions of dollars to electrify the lineup and build out their EV line. You know, of course, talent is hard to find and those uh, smart folks at uh, Argo AI can be redeployed for things like better driver assistance systems, which, you know, more customers have really come to expect. Yep, that makes sense. Coming up, Jamie's conversation with Mark Lenave, chairman of the auto dealership vertical at Franchise Equity Partners from the Automotive News Retail Forum in Chicago. That's next on Daily Drive. Slate Money is a weekly roundup of the most important stories from the world of business and finance. Hosted by Felix Salmon, Elizabeth Spires, and me, Emily Peck. Confused by crypto? Can't keep up with the metaverse? Wondering why the price of just about everything keeps rising? The Slate Money podcast is here for you. Listen to Slate Money every Saturday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. There's been a lot of turbulence in the auto retail space. Dealers have responded very well with record profits and valuations. At the same time, dealerships are under a lot of strain. They're facing proposed new regulations, Tesla's growing market share, rising interest rates. But a lot of folks are still interested in investing in this resilient industry. Among them is Mark Lenave. Many of you know him from when he was the head of sales and marketing for Ford or for GM. He was also chief marketing officer for Allstate. Now he's the chairman of the auto retail vertical at Franchise Equity Partners, which recently announced a $70 million investment in a growing group. Automotive News retail editor Amy Wilson and I talked with Lenave about all that and more before our retail forum today in Chicago. Here's a piece of that conversation. Mark, you just uh, closed your first deal with the uh, Franchise Equity Partners. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, we did. We're, we're really happy um, to close our first deal with uh, dealer operators, a guy named John Sobel, mm-hmm. a great operator. Georgica Holdings, we formed a new holding company uh, for the investment. Uh, 23 uh, really good dealerships across uh, like the Philadelphia suburbs, New Jersey, and I say upstate New York, kind of the 
Auburn, West Point uh, area, but a really good brand mix. Uh, ten, 10 automotive brands all together. Uh, a lot really, of European high-end brands. There's a, a really good mix of Porsche Audi stores, but there's a great Honda store, great Toyota store, uh, a really nice Volkswagen, Subaru, Chevy store. So a uh, really good mix, a great group. And, you know, we paid $70 million uh, for a minority investment. We don't have control. In our business model, the dealer operator retains control. Uh, so we never really want to be over 49%. And... Uh, but we want to provide capital, we believe so strongly in the franchise model uh, and the, the automotive franchise model and, and the retail model that uh, we believe we can get a really good return. Uh, but we don't, we really want to invest with best class operators and let them continue to do what they've always done, which is run great dealerships and take care of their customers. What is um, Jonathan Sobel going to be doing with that $70 million infusion? Is that a growth play for, for him? Uh, we believe, of course, he can do whatever he wants, but, you know, uh, uh, but no, our discussions with John is uh, he definitely is looking to, you know, he's grown his business. He scaled us from one store on uh, Long Island to 23 in a relatively short period of time, you know, 10, 15 years. And he's definitely still a young guy, uh, you know, great energy, great operator. And he's looking to grow with us as a capital partner. So we, we're looking to do more acquisitions. With him, and kind of our model would be to get a, a partner like John in the various geographic parts of the country. Uh, you know, we're not probably going to make 50 investments. It'll be you know a handful over time over the next couple of years, five to ten. And if we could get the right partner to grow with in different parts of the country, that'd be ideal for us. And the idea is to find somebody who wants to expand, might might need some more capital, but has a long runway in front of them as far as um, managing and building a group and consolidating their market a little bit more. Right. Scale is really important. If you think about a future world where, you know, internet, online selling, pulling used cars and selling them across wide geography. Uh, EVs where there's less overall going to be less service business, uh, even though I think it burns in over a long period of time. Uh, the, the OEMs more want to share the selling experience with the, with the dealer. We think scale is really important. So we're a good source of capital. The banks would be another one, but we don't have covenants. And, uh, uh, so, and we've got automotive expertise and we've got a great team in New York that can run a lot of the analytics. So we're a really good alternative to you know, just pure conventional debt equity. Uh, you announced when uh, you formed a little um, under a year ago that you were going to invest $400 million in the dealership vertical. Is that still the plan um, for, for $400 million? Yeah, our, uh, our, our parent company, uh, HPS, which is, a, which is a great investment house in New York, have dedicated a billion uh, dollars to this strategy across all the verticals. There's a restaurant vertical, which is really fast food, uh, beer distributorships, health clubs, uh, you know, uh, heavy duty farm equipment and auto. 400 million is just a loose number. Uh, we could put more against it. It's actually the way things are shaping up. We probably will. And then there's usually a turn of leverage. So that kind of almost doubles that number. Uh, but uh, we see lots of opportunity in the auto space and it's, it, there's varying degrees of opportunity across the other verticals. So that number could definitely go up. And what kind of time frame do you expect that to play out in? Uh, next uh, couple, two to three years. Okay. Uh, they always say the first deal, the hardest one's the first one. We've got that one done. Uh, we're very proud and excited about it. We've got another one or two really close. And we've probably talked and looked at it, you know, looked at data and financials on it with 50 different dealer groups. Right? So one thing we're doing is developing a really good database. Mm -hmm. we can compare and, uh, and I think with the announcement that we've done the first deal, 
our, our phones are ringing and I wouldn't say off the hook, but really consistently. And you know, people know we're legit. Uh, it's a very different model. Uh, it's passive. It's permanent. There's no guaranteed coupon, uh, which is very different than other mechanisms that have been in the market previously. We go. We've truly aligned with our operating partners, and we, you know, we succeed with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't even want to think about the alternative to that. So we we go with them. They run the stores, and we provide whatever help that they want. But we do not interfere in our operations. Mark, you talked about consolidation and the importance of scale going forward. I know in your um, your time working at automakers, you you spent a lot of time with dealership groups of all sizes, mom and pop dealers. There are a lot of those out there. Just given the changes in the industry, what what would you say to some of your old um, mom and pop dealer pals that are still in the business as they face these changes? Well, you've got you know, it depends on the market. You know, you've got a lot of single deal, what I used to call SDAs or single dealer towns where there's just one dealer, mm-hmm. um, you know, in a, in a small, Beaver Falls, where I grew up, Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. Even though it's a Pittsburgh suburb, there's one Chevy dealer, one Ford dealer. In fact, today it might be the same guy. I can't remember. I've been back in a while. And if they're a good operator and have a good reputation, which many of them do, they're going to be fine. But in a big metro market where you've got multiple dealers selling the brands, uh, you know, I fundamentally believe a great operator could make it, but the advantage of having, you know, two, three of two, three dealerships of the same brand, maybe two, three more of other brand, uh, you know, eight, nine, ten stores in a market that the dealer really understands, where he can roll up back office operations, he can, he's got uh, ability to to move people and have career development for his folks. You mentioned a hundred thousand dollars. People don't realize dealership a great source of employment and have been for years. These are really good jobs, whether it's technician or salespeople or service writers. And I just think scale is going to be important given online selling, given, uh, you know, the, the ability to access and distribute used cars across the geography on less service eventually on EVs so that you can roll up more of that as well as back office, digital buys, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm a very big proponent, but, a great operator, one by himself, will, I think, always be fine. I just think it'll be easier to pick that scale. Do you have any uh, other framework to your strategy? I mean, it sounded like you're really looking all across the country. You're not yes. focused on a specific geography or even a specific type of brand. No, we uh, we spent a lot of time talking about the different geographies and, and, and brand mix. We, we love the, the mass market brands, um, you know, across the board, so we don't have any, you know, bias toward the domestics versus uh, uh, imports or, or the Asians or, or German manufacturers. Luxury brands you pay a premium for. You got to have people who really know how to operate. You know, a lot of experience both at Volvo and, and, and Cadillac. There's a reason you pay a premium for them because they're, they tend to be uh, really good businesses if properly run. But no, we're, uh, we're, we've talked to dealerships from the Pacific Northwest to Florida, uh, you know, Texas, and the, the Northeast Chicago. Uh, across the whole entire brand mix. And uh, we'd like to think when the OEMs get a little understand our model, and we've talked to quite a few of them that, you know, with consummating the deal with John Sobel, we're a great source of capital for some of the really good operators to, uh, to grow with. So, uh, you know, in a passive uh, structure, it doesn't have any kind of operational control. So we think we're a real good alternative to conventional financing or debt. And uh, that, uh, you know, now that we've got a couple deals going, you know, one announced uh, uh, that, you know, a lot of, we're not right for everybody, but I think a lot of dealers will be interested. 
do you also though what kind of support do you provide and it's not i mean it's a passive investment and you're not trying to control anything but you also provide some guidance and uh support right well, well they give me for whatever that's worth <laughs> <laughs> a cup of coffee you know but uh uh, Dawn Resource CEO has a long, long history in retail operations. Ran Drive Time was uh, was with Auto Nation, the Terry, you know, the Terry Leap Group in Indiana. He's got great experience. I can provide you know some level of you know experience more from an industry standpoint, an OEM standpoint. We got great financial chops. Uh, we, we had a great team of uh, analysts uh, in New York City, that, and we're developing a great database. Now we don't share any, you know, we're very um, cautious about sharing any financials. You know, everybody's under uh, non-disclosures and what have you, but we've got really good analytics in terms of trying to call what this market's gonna, gonna look like. What's been really difficult is, you know, the last normal year before COVID was 19. And then 20 was disrupted by COVID. And then 21 and 22 have just been sensational for profit. So trying to peg what that profit stream is gonna be in 24, 25 is, it's not an exact science. So we've got uh, spent a lot of time thinking about it and we can be really helpful for a dealer dealer group that uh, in terms of accessing our team and our analytics and trying to think through that themselves. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on retail, earnings results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation about the new safeguards rules for retailers and some steps procrastinating dealerships can make to be sure they comply. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.